What's up, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders to learn some tricks and uh, not have to play that bar again. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Adam Johnson. Here in Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Ray. Dan, I want to thank you personally for uh, taking the the lead last week. Uh, oh yeah, that conversation with Sam was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, we should uh, we should definitely do more of that. What's What's funny is you know after the fact because I didn't I didn't have the um, the pleasure of speaking to him in person. We actually a lot of our worlds overlap. Um, his brother, I'm sorry, his drummer's brother is a producer that my band tried to work with. And he knew a bunch of bands that I was like big fans of in the Chicago kind of indie punk scene in the cool. late 90s and stuff. It was just, it was kind of fun to just sit there and be like, oh, you know him and you know them. So um, <laughs> Sam will definitely be making his way back onto the show uh, at some yeah. point in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. He'll have an album to promote before too long here and we'll uh, definitely do that. Fantastic. So. You ready to just get into it? Let's do. You know what? I have one thing I want to say about the gig we played last night. Go for it. So actually, two things. Um, we played last night at a place that was um, our return to the venue where we had our very first gig mm-hmm. almost a year ago uh, as this band. And um, when we were there a year ago, it was uh, it's called um, DJ's Restaurant and Sky Lounge. Yeah. And, uh, I've heard of that place, actually. Yeah, it's a it's a good venue. It's it's um in sort of the area between Greensboro and Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a pretty prominent uh music venue and their Saturday nights are pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Um and then they have a Thursday night that's um semi hot and we've been there on Thursday night twice. Um looking to get to, you know, cuz Saturday is the show. Yeah. Um and um since we were there, they built this thrust onto the stage. It was the last time we were there. It's like a very uh, shallow, wide stage, so you kind of have to line up in a weird line. Um, but but we got there, and man, the, the stage is suddenly ten feet deeper than it used to be. There's oh, all this room great. for activities, you know. And um, they had put in a new lighting system. They had, I think, six. I believe they were Chauvet Intimidators on the, on the back line, and six out in front of the the, the front of the stage, and then. He was also playing around with two of those um, Chauvet volcanoes, the, the fog machine that shoots fog up and then illuminates them from below. Yes, yes. Um, which, you know, so, so he had a, his, his lighting guy was in and setting it all up and training him during our show. And um, I was um, very glad that I had set up the camera because uh, while it's always a good idea to tape your, your shows because there's always a ton to learn, I also um, – there's some moments where this lighting tech was doing some stuff with the lights that was just so musical and tasty and just really accented what we were doing. It's just, it's just you can't overstate the difference that that kind of production quality mm-hmm. edge can give to a show. Cause it's really, oh, yeah. really great. Absolutely. Super great. Also, here's the other big thing. This was our first show with in-ear monitors. Ha-ha. Now, was it just yeah. you or was uh, was the whole gang along with it? So Justin and I, the two of us in front, had them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tony the drummer and Scott the bassist were working off of Tony's big, um, I don't know what size it is, a pretty sizable uh, uh, monitor on the back yeah. line. Um, so a couple things that I, that I learned. Um, I am the front of house, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So... Um, it, the, the big hurdle for me was trusting my mix. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up not liking having the front, the, the front of house mix in our in-ears. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, uh, we had, I still had a stereo mix, but I had our guitars and vocals panned 
to sort of place us on stage. Mm-hmm. And then the drum um, mic, we do, a, uh, uh, Tony has a little sub mixer on the back line. He sends me a single line out of that sure. for, for his whole mic kit. Um, so that and bass pretty solid in, in the center of the, of the soundstage. And then guitar and vocals panned to, in the directions we stand. Um, I might break it down and give us separate mixes, but um, it's actually pretty good to, to have, you know, when he sings on his mic to the left of me, I hear it kind of over where he is. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, and the stereo separation gives me plenty of monitoring of, of both of us, of our own performance. Yeah. Um, uh, I would love to have stereo mixes, um, but due to the number of bodies on stage versus the number of outputs I have, we, uh, we all are using mono mixes at the moment. So, yeah. 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 It's pretty good. Um, the, um, there are some places in, in, I just reviewed the video of the show this morning. There are places where I, I wish that I had been a little more aware of what was happening in front of house. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I would have tweaked things just a little, but, um, I can see how I could pop down off stage and, and drop the earpieces and, and check that out pretty easily. The thing I need to work on <laughs> is figuring out, you know, timing that against what my hands have to accomplish on the guitar. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, finding a spot in the show when I'm not needed for, whatever that 30 seconds it takes to fumble my earbuds back in. And I'll probably get faster at that too. But um, right now it's a little awkward and I ended up playing the second half of the second set with them just hanging because I couldn't, I couldn't organize it all. Um, I'll probably get better at that. I also need to experiment with tips because I was adjusting them the whole show. So, Mm -hmm. um, so there's like a lot to, a lot to learn, but I will say having the mix in my ears, it really is like listening to a CD of your band. It's Mm -hmm. pretty incredible. And, um, and I, um, uh, for anyone else who has been resisting it the way that I have been, um, consider giving up your resistance because it, um, I, I can tell it made a big difference in my vocal performance. Uh, there are places in songs where um, I, I'm not sure I would ever have said I was not confident, but looking back at how it felt last night, the confidence that I suddenly had was a whole other ballgame. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was pretty for great. And you know, it'll take us Go ahead. Yeah. For vocalist, it's, it's kind of a slam dunk. Um, it really, because yeah. it, 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 it will save your voice almost immediately. Um, because yeah. the, the, your, the mechanics of your, of singing kind of change when you're, you don't have to worry about, uh, amplitude. Um, you can just focus more on, you know, technique and intonation and breath control and that kind of stuff. And you're not really worried about, am I getting up over this loud enough so I can hear, you know, if I'm hitting this note or not. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is um, I have historically never been very confident in the falsetto range mm-hmm. and with in-ears, I suddenly find that I have a falsetto yeah. and um, probably the issue was it never had enough power behind it for me to feel good about it. But now that power is mm-hmm. not an issue, and I can just use the amplification, man, there's, I can actually hit a lot of stuff in my falsetto. I actually have a pretty decent falsetto. Well, and that's the thing is that the falsetto was always there. It's just your ability to monitor yourself and what you were doing up there. Exactly. Was not present. Exactly. So exactly. It's a totally so it's a different ball game. That really does change the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, early days with that tool, but, uh, but I'm very glad to be into it. Cool. Um, yeah, I've been a, a big fan of, uh, of inner monitors. And it's funny because while you have just delved into the world of in-ears, the last two gigs that I have done, uh, I have not had any because mm. it was um, the two, the last two things I did is I did a solo acoustic thing um, at a country club uh, last week, which was fine, rather uneventful. Um, 
And then the week before that, I sang in a Chris Cornell tribute mm, right. with a house band. So um, I went up, I was supposed to do just one song, and then the one of the guys who was supposed to do it, was uh, he got stuck out of state and couldn't come, so I ended up singing a lot more than I was planning on. And um, singing <laughs> that kind of music is difficult enough. Right. And it's even more difficult when, um, when the monitoring situation is less than ideal. Yeah. But, um, and, and that was one of those where I did have to worry about amplitude because I had to actually sell it. So, um, right. that was a, it was, it was a fun night cause I don't get to normally sing that way, but, uh, I'm glad I don't have to do that as a job because I don't think I could. Yeah. I enjoyed some of the videos you posted. They were pretty high energy stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, I posted the one on spoon man. Um, and the, the audio is a little rough. Um, but yeah, it, was a, yeah. it was a cell phone, cell phone video, so you can't expect a lot out of the audio. Yeah, but the video was, it was, uh, yeah, it was clearly some energy coming off of you on stage. It was good. Yep, flex a different set of muscles. Anywho, yeah, yeah, good stuff, man. I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy that everything worked out, and um, yep. that video will probably be beneficial for you guys for promo purposes in the future. Yes. Oh, it absolutely will, man. Absolutely. They're just some gorgeous moments. Gorgeous good. moments. Good, good, good. So. The topic that we are covering today um, is one that has <laughs> has been making the rounds quite a bit on um, more most specifically the Cover Band Central uh, Facebook group, um, and it's 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 pretty polarizing. But the um, the topic we're covering today is tracks, um, and we're going to try and format this in a in a way that. Um, Everybody kind of gets to hear their viewpoint. Um, we will do a point-counterpoint kind of approach. So um, my lovely co-host, Dan, will be <laughs> on the counterpoint side, and yeah. I will be on the point side. So, yeah. no, and, and I should say, full disclosure, I don't actually feel very strongly about this topic, but um, I'm going to uh, – because I think it's a divisive topic and one that um, – uh, there's just people have strong opinions about. I'm going to be bringing up the th- arguments against tracks that I hear out there. And, um, um, you know, in my band, we don't use or haven't so far used full song tracks. We use, um, uh, you know, tracks to fill and, um, iconic horn parts or whatever. We use it, um, the horns and the flute on, um, sledgehammer, Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, so I'll be I'll be uh, the oh yeah Adam well what about uh, f- representing some of you that I yes. know are out there in the audience uh, much much more than my own <laughs> personal position <laughs> yeah and uh, on the same note I, I do want to say welcome to everybody who has uh, who's now tuning in because of this topic um, I had mentioned on uh, one of those threads that we would be covering it today in the uh, on the podcast and I had about twenty requests pop up so uh, this is clearly something that people are interested in and I feel like. Um, the nays kind of drown out the uh, the other parties. So if you are curious, um, welcome. Thank you for, for tuning in. And uh, uh, email us your thoughts at coverbandconfidential at gmail.com um, for or against. Um, so yeah, let's, let's go ahead and, and do this. So I'm taking the pro track uh, approach. I'm on the pro track side. Uh, my band uses them. Um, I have been using tracks since my my original band used tracks back in the early 2000s um back when it was you know maybe the drummer had in ear monitors if you were lucky um and he was the only person with the click and you know we had to come up with 
creative ways of sending it to front of house because none of this stuff was, uh, was normal or, um, widespread back then. Um, but it's something that we, we just grew accustomed to it. Also, you know, we, we got used to playing to, uh, to, to clicks, uh, pretty intently. And that was the kind of band that we were. We were a professional group that played to click tracks and had backing tracks and, and we were just, you know, that kind of band. So, um, this is old hat for me. And, um, I think that there are plenty of benefits to, uh, to using them. Do you have a, do you have a, a counter, uh, Dan? Um, well, uh, um, <laughs> I'm trying to represent the counter, um, arguments. Um, the, mostly the counter arguments I see to using tracks are philosophical and aesthetic, right? Yep. So, you know, the, the counter argument is like, if you, if you need that horn part, you should go out and get a horn player. There are horn players out there looking for work. Um, and tracking is somehow lazy or, mm-hmm. um, or inauthentic. Yeah. I also hear a lot of, um, it being cheating, cheating. That- it, listen. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'll tell you this, you know, I saw a, and I'm not making something up that I actually did, uh, see a guy with a guitar and a microphone, uh, performing in a restaurant to a full band of backing track and, the backing track had drums, bass, horns. I think it had a guitar track. I think it had backing vocals. And there, there this dude was with a guitar. And that, authentically, not even standing in for a, an opinion I see on the internet, that felt cheap to me. That felt, it felt like um, I wished I'd seen him just doing solo acoustic. I, I wish he didn't have all that production to try to sound like something he wasn't. Yeah, so it, in in that effect, it actually took away from his performance and, and did. did not add to it. It did. It felt cheesy, and it wasn't. Um, the tracks were well, fairly and high those quality. Tracks are usually bad, you know. Well, yeah, like yeah. His were, MIDI sequences are his were not terrific. I mean, they were they weren't terrible. My, the quality of the track wasn't my objection, although I Got don't it. think they were fantastic. The the mm-hmm. my objection was that it just felt like he was. Um, it felt like his band had left him at the last show, and he was trying to compensate. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, that's the one where we hear a lot. Um, the other one that, that I, you know, some of these, again, are philosophical approaches. The one that I kind of take issue with are the people that say people who use tracks aren't real musicians. And I, right. I, I take exception with, uh, with that, that, that stance. Um, and the, the main reason being is that almost every band that you see on television or, you know, plays songs that you love probably plays to tracks. So it is just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it is the, the way of the world currently. So, um, my, the, the points that I want to make about tracks are, um, I feel like they're pretty solid. Um, but they are as follows. Um, Backtracks can be useful for a number of reasons. One, um, finding great musicians is not always easy. Um, you know, we are, a, we are by de- definition, we are local bands. So your band can theoretically only be as good as the people that populate your city. So, you know, maybe in your city, there's two good guitar players and a solid drummer, but no bass player. Um, or maybe you have, you know, a great, primary setup guitar bass and drums but there are no keyboard players um that's one of the that's one i would say justification that tracks might be useful um the other 
the other one that is kind of related to um to lineup is that you may only need tracks for certain songs so if you guys like to your point dan you were saying that you like okay well we use them for a couple of things like the flute in um in sledgehammer which is you know a very distinct it would be very difficult to replicate oh Um, yeah so or maybe maybe you have a song it wouldn't be the same song without it so it's crucial that you know It's not. It's not providing any structure to the song, but it's such a moment in that song. You just couldn't. You, you couldn't do the song without it. Right. Or maybe there's a sax solo in one song, and you wanted instead of you know having the guitar player try to cop it, uh, just leave it in, and it's it's fine where it is. Um, that's another thing you can do. And also, if you only maybe you have sax on a couple of songs, or you know, can can you actually hire a saxophone player to play two songs in your two hour set? You know, would he feel like it was worth his time and energy to do that? Um, or you may not have a sax player available to you at all. Um, those are, you know, those are all reasons why. Um, I, I'll say this. The reason why we started playing with tracks was because finding a keyboard player was difficult. And when we did find a keyboard player, um, we had a situation where we were traveling to an out-of-state gig um, he decided that he wasn't going to follow the contract that we had given him. And when I called him on it, he said, I'm not coming. Hmm. So we were then, you know, 300 miles away from our home base, uh, <laughs> holding the bag. So finding a keyboard player is one thing. Finding a professional keyboard player is a completely different thing. <laughs> other thing. Um, yeah. So I ended up, I had to scramble, um, cause I had, I had redone all of our clicks and all of that to take stuff out. Um, and I had worked with this guy for, you know, for weeks up to this point. And he just decided that he didn't want to, he didn't want to have to deal with it. Um, so yeah, that's, that was a, that was one of the worst gigs of my life. Yeah, um, sure. It wasn't actually, the gig was fine. It was my headspace, my, like where my head was at was completely just trash though. I had no, like I, there was no enjoyment in that at all yeah. because I just, I had a, I had been emotionally kind of held hostage by the situation. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And to be honest, we haven't really, you know, we, we've had keyboard players come in and, and, and go, but you know, I, I'm never going to get rid of those tracks because I know <laughs> what can happen now. So, yeah. well, um, so then here's, here's a counter argument to that, right? Yeah. A counter argument you see out there as well. If you can't do it with your, personnel you know you've got then you shouldn't be doing it you have no business playing a song that you can't do with the people you know you've got okay the the question i guess the counter to that for me is um you're not in my band and you can't tell me what i can and can't play (laughs) fair enough (laughs) i mean that's really what it boils down to i mean yeah yeah i don't i don't feel like it's anybody's business you know, you can you can say, oh, they played a tracks and, and they're lame as a musician. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I've gotten to the point now where I can I can hear it immediately. Um, but I'm not going to be at your shows most of the time anyway. And the people that are going to your shows typically aren't musicians. They are people who are there to drink and dance. Um, the, the one thing that I always I, I keep. I say in these arguments is I can't pay my rent with the respect of my peers. Yeah. Um, so a musician's opinion on tracks is 
you know, kind of a moot point because, you know, it's, it's like somebody, it's, it's like somebody my age going, I don't get radio Disney. You're not supposed to get radio Disney. I, you're, you're, I'm not their target market. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that, that's my main thing. Um, and, and there's not, not to say that there isn't something to taking the available personnel and, and putting your spin on stuff. Um, I think the handsome young ladies were, uh, are a fantastic example of that. You know, they are a trio and they do what they do in a very unique way. And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, that's their calling card. Um, the main reason that a lot of bands, especially bands from the eighties or that do eighties music tend to use tracks is because there's not really a cohesive way of replicating it live without it. Yeah. And even in, you know, even back then they were using, you know, digital drums and drum machines and programming and, and samples and all of that stuff. So, uh, it, it was never as pure an art form as people may, you know, allege it to be. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true. You know, I mean, this is as with so many other topics, um, it kind of all comes down to human beings just really want to feel right. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so we'll take things that really ought to just be opinions and make them into laws and rules. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, that, especially once you, uh, divorce the text you're interacting with from a human being who's over there. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I have every right to tell you how you ought to live. And um, <laughs> it's kind of nonsense, but it's what we do as people. Yeah. I mean, the the thing again, that I really take took issue with is, is there, there are people out there who, you know, who denigrate musicians who, who are in bands that play to tracks. And I just, I, I think that, learning to play to a metronome and, and committing to playing to a metronome live is a, is a very difficult skill to master. Um, and it should be respected as such because you know, not everybody the, can. That's the other it. side of it. Yeah. That's the other side of it. You know, there's, there's the whole like, Oh, it's lazy. It's cheating. It's not real music. And then there are p- the people who've tried it once and their objection is it's too hard. It's too much work. Yeah. I mean, you, you've been telling me the last couple of days about all the tracks you're building for this 90s show you have coming up. Yeah, so we're doing. Um, we're still in the midst of Fanny Pack Friday. Actually, fun story. I don't know if you uh, heard on the news, but Ticketfly got some sort of. There was some sort of cyber attack on Ticketfly, which is a ticket vendor, um, and it shut down a bunch of venues websites. Um, we got caught up in that, so <laughs> currently our show is not for sale. Um, oh. They're trying to get all that figured out, but yeah, that's a fun little development. Um, but yeah, so Fanny Pack Friday, we you know. The main push for this is that we are adding '90s tunes to our to our our repertoire. So you know, just like any other situation, you know, if a band is taking on a new set of music, I've got to basically onboard 20 songs. Um, some of the songs have tracks, some of them don't, but they all have clicks. So I still have to kind of put my fingers on every single song to make sure that, you know, they're arranged the right way. So, um, and, and one thing that we are, we're doing is, um, which is kind of counter to my argument is, you know, what we want to do is we want to be able to play the songs as if the track wasn't playing. So the, the track is just there as, you know, as a garnish to what the band is doing. Um, it's not the whole show. So, you know, we're looking at different arrangements and kind of, you know, 
I'm always I'm always a fan of doing research on you know other people who have done it and hey let's look at this arrangement let's see what these guys are doing um, because you're going to be able to you know it's going to flesh it out more than you know standing there you know for four bars while the, the track plays you know this one piece you know you can have the entire band doing that exact thing so the other reason why I'm using tracks for these songs is uh, one of the other reasons why I I think tracks are useful. Um, Typically, we use uh, tracks from karaokeversion.com, which is a website that specializes in this particular thing. Um, and what they basically do is, you know, for three bucks, they give you the multis for all of these songs. So if I'm trying as a music director to onboard 20 songs for my players, I want to make sure that they have the resources they need to do a good job. So part of my workflow also includes going on to karaoke version and soloing or remixing the songs to have different pieces prominently displayed and creating basically learn tracks for my guys. So typically I'll do a a bass learn, a guitar learn and a BGV learn. Um, And in those I'll bounce a, a copy with those particular channels turned up and everything else turned down. So, you know, it's very prevalent and prominent. And then that way, um, my guys know exactly what they're supposed to be playing and there's no, uh, there's no mystery to it. And, you know, they have the resources they need to do a good job. So that's another way that I use that. And it's also really good, um, for subs, you know, when, if somebody comes up and I need a guitar player or a bass player, I'll, you know, I'll say, Hey, here's this Google drive folder and here's what you need to know. And, um, you know, as a, as a, as a fill in, I can't imagine, you know, the, the relief that, you know, it it must bring for, for, you know, for guys, because it it removes any, you know, any curiosity or, you know, vagueness of what, you know, what is expected of you. So yeah, having, having tracks, uh, for your subs is super useful. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, I think there is, uh, it's in that category of, sort of technical assistance that some people have a an aversion to that's um uh you know valid if if, if that's the way you want to roll you know all sort of DIY every sound is made by something physical happening on stage um that's cool you know there are people who um feel like pitch correction is a cheat yeah. um, or rather than an artistic choice or harmonizers do you use anything like that um on my solo stuff i do sometimes a lot of times I forget to push the button. So it's, it's just there, but, um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I do. I have a a TC Helicon voice live that I have a a pitch correction happening Mm. in full time. Um, not a lot, just a, just a hint. Um, boy, and I'll tell you in the in-ears, you can hear the beats when it's doing Mm -hmm. it much more clearly than through the PA. You know, it sounds a little flangy. Um, but that's the sound coming back from the monitors, uh, beating against the pitch happening in your, larynx right um it's only happening inside literally inside your head that's i mean that's part of the reason why i like singing with in-ears is is you know we can you can focus on that kind of stuff and and it's 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 way more well i mean it's just clearer you just you know you're in a better headspace you know as far as what you're what you're producing with your uh with your voice um on a related note uh with in-ears one of the other things that we use um we use tracks for is um, you know, we, we play to clicks for basically everything. And one of the things that we typically add to those clicks are cues. So you're getting, uh, you're getting eight counts in, you're getting eight counts out. You're, you know, if the key, if it, if there's a key change coming up, you, you know, you hear it, 
um, you know, if there's like a special, like the band drops out or there's specific hits, like those are all notated on the click track and everybody on the, on the stage is wearing in-ears. So everybody is always on the same page. There's no like, wait, do we do another bar of this or what? Like it's, it's all very laid out. And depending on the platform you use to play your tracks back, you know, that, for some people, that's one of the arguments against tracks is that it's rigid and you have to, you know, you have to follow along. One of the guys said, well, I hope your guitar player doesn't want to add, you know, another four bars to a solo. I was like, first of all, nobody wants to hear another four bars of another guitar solo anyway. Right. <laughs> right, all, right. um, if you set up your tracks with, uh, with markers um, and you have, you know, if you use main stage or you use Ableton, you can navigate through those songs and through those song sections uh on the fly so if you want to loop the bridge section three times because you know the the crowd's feeling it like that is totally doable um and you've got you know you've got a net you know it's not just everybody you know kind of figuring out where it is in my case it says bridge at the beginning of that bar so you know if it's back to bridge then you know the players know so and what do, what's that like to loop on the fly like that? If you if you make that call that you're going to go around, you know, you're going to play the whole outro twice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, logistically, there you are with a guitar. What what do you do to make that happen? In those moments, um, that is something that the person who is controlling the tracks has to dictate. Um, so in yeah. our case, that would be the drummer, and the drummer you know, you can set up a controller to, to move sections and you can also set up controllers to loop sections. Um, that's not something that we typically do, but it is feasible. Um, most of the people that are doing that are using Ableton and they're using something like a, you know, one of the big button boards where, you know, one button does, you know, it either triggers an entire song or you can trigger sections and you can assign buttons to certain things. And you can do that in uh, uh-huh. in main stage, which is what we currently use uh, for track playback, but um, it's just not something that we have ever dealt with. Yeah, into. you'd really seems like that's something you'd really need to work on. I, I mean, a, a drummer's hands and legs are all busy too. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, that kind of um, editing on the fly feels like it's uh, uh, that'd be pretty intense. But it's good to know that there is that flexibility. I will yeah, say I, this, you know, in, in terms of, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, another thing that, you know, a lot of drummers who are in charge of tracks use is they have, uh, they have foot pedals on the left side where their hi-hat typically is. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of those things where your hands could be doing something and, and your, you know, your, the foot that's not doing most of the work can, you know, can do those other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tony triggers, um, our samples from, a uh, Roland sampler pad, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he's, he's an octopus already, so. <laughs> he seems to have enough arms for that. It's amazing. And are you using an SPD? 80 like the just the octopad are you using the spdsx i don't know the model of it we can load it with with samples does, is it red or is it like does it have red accents i don't know okay because yeah i mean uh some some people are actually loading the uh their tracks onto the sampler pads and you can sure. do it that way too yeah i could totally see that working so yeah, no, yeah no, I'll, t- I'll tell you this too about about flexibility um, um and this one i'm not is legitimately I, i'm uh, a thing that i think i would uh, would pull me away from being as as um, linearly track oriented as you are mm-hmm. um, is the ability to call an audible on the set list. Um, I guess given those editing functions you just talked about, maybe that's not an impossibility. Yeah, I mean, w- we set up the set lists. So the the way that um, that main stage does it is um, on the left hand side. There's like there's a navigation 
set. So we arrange the songs in the set list. And if we want to call an audible, like basically it's, you know, there's three folders. There's set one, there's set two, or however many sets there are. And then there's extra. And then extra has got every song on there. So there's 200 songs in that playlist. So if I want to call, you know, if I want to call Jesse's girl and it's not on the set list, you know, I've got him sorted alphabetically. He just goes down to J and he presses play. It's not, it's really not that big of a deal as far as that goes. That's good. Or we can play without the track. We can just, you know, we'll do it live. So like if we wanted to do, um, towards the end of the night, we might do, uh, sweet child of mine. We Mm -hmm. typically don't play that one to a click because you don't really need to. Um, there, there's always room for, for spontaneity. Um, I know a lot of people think that that's not the case, but, um, one of the, one of the, I think one of the true gifts of, of players who who do play to tracks is they come they they come up with creative ways of creating moments in the rigidity of a track like that. So. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you, there's um, there's just nothing that brings out creativity like constraint, right? I mean, creativity mm-hmm. can you know, kind of only exist in an environment of constraint. Yeah, um, that's good. You know, because I, I really would hate to um, lock myself into a playlist and then be stuck there last night we pulled out um moni moni mm-hmm. uh, which we had not played live before we'd only rehearsed it once in fact and it, yeah boy the the uh suddenly being on a live wire you know the the high wire <laughs> with a song that we were not totally sure was stage ready um it yeah. was the highlight of the night it was it was so it, it was so much energy and the crowd just totally responded to our being like okay here we go <laughs> it's yeah. it pretty great well, well, and another thing, you know, that has happened to us before is, and, and it's another con about tracks is that tracks can fail. Um, yeah, and we yeah. have had gigs where the tracks didn't work yeah. and we went completely live. And again, you know, this is not something that we use as a crutch for musicality. I, my band is very, very talented, great players. And when the tracks went down, well, the set list opened right up. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, what we had written down, not all of it worked. So we either did different arrangements for it or we skipped it and we came up with uh, with other stuff and we stretched things out and it was perfectly fine. Like the, the, the party was, they were loving it because, you know, we were stretching things out. We were kind of doing some stuff and they could tell that like we were really locked in. Um, I turned to the guitar player at the end of the night. I was like, dude, I felt like I was alive. Mm. He goes, that's exactly what I was like. I, I was feeling that, but I didn't know how to say it. But yeah, that was, that was a, an interesting night. Well, so, so and it, it, listen, an, an anti-track person is going to say, well, that was because you weren't faking it to your crutch. Mm. Well, that's to be fair. I, I, it's more a matter of facing adversity and overcoming it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. If we weren't, we were we we were having fun during the first set. The first set was a blast because you know we were having a good time. This just you know created a uh, a unique challenge, and you know not everybody likes a challenge, but you know the guys in the group were up for it, and so you know we we went for it, and it was it was perfectly fine. Yeah. And if we had started the night without tracks, um, I don't think the the crowd would have noticed. To be perfectly right. honest, right. and again, that's a that's a good argument for or against. Um, it, but it really kind of boils down to the last part of my argument is no one cares. <laughs> yeah. The crowd doesn't notice. They don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if, if I, you know, no one is walking home from, you know, a show going, man, I really wish there were six people on stage instead of five, or I wish there were eight people on stage instead of six. Yeah. 
they just go, man, that was really fun. They sounded really good. Yeah, nobody even wonders, like, gosh, where were those horns coming from? Right. It's like, they, they just don't think that hard about it. Well, and, and that, that's another one of the arguments is that you're, you know, you're lying to the audience. Like the audience, you, you have to, there would have to be non-truth to give to the audience for them to care enough to be offended. Uh, like the, there is no argument there. And right. I would just like to, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, this might bruise the egos of, you know, some people out there. But if you are in a cover band, you are not in the music business. You mm. are in the entertainment business. That's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're in the entertainment business, then your obligation to your audience is to provide the best possible performance for the best value. If your objective is to provide the best possible performance for the best value, does that sound like something backing tracks might help you to do? Just a thought. Just throwing it out there. By the way, people who are in the music business, like touring original acts, use mm-hmm. tracks all the time. Right, and There's that's the other thing of, is that um, people are. Oh, go ahead. Well, your your go points ahead. more closely to what we're doing. I'll I'll tag mine on in a minute. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, on, on the, you know, talking about you know the music business versus the the entertainment business. That's one of the reasons why people say we shouldn't cover bands shouldn't do it is because the because pro bands do it, and I'm like, wait a second. Aren't we trying to be pro bands? Like, isn't yeah. that what our, the objective is, is to get good enough to do this, like, for real? Yeah. People or who to recorded do it, it need a track to play it live, so why do you think we wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I don't know. It, again, I, it's a, it's a it, it could be a generational thing. It could be a, an intimidation thing. It could be uh, staring at the, I mean, trust me, no one understands the, um, the, daunting task of setting tracks up for a band who didn't use them before like i did because i built them from Mm. the ground up um and had to do a bunch of them and it took hours and hours like that's the running joke with my band is like i'm still you know i still haven't broken even (laughs) on this project uh because if you if you if i build my hours like i'd be so in the hole right now just ridiculous so um it is it is a time it is a time investment um so um on the the other thing is that, you know, there are bands that, that press themselves away, 100% live, no tracks. Like, are you, are you making more money than the bands that, that are using tracks or don't mention it in their promo? Does, does Aerosmith or Muse put that on their posters when they play in town? Yeah. I just, I mean, it doesn't, again, it's just a, it's a different mindset. And, and, if the past few years have taught me anything is that there are just people literally on the other side of, of a viewpoint that want the exact opposite of what I want. And (laughs) that's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the thing that sort of the, 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 the attitude about that, that I find has me level up as a human is to get that for them, that's valid. And mm-hmm. if it's if it's important to them that every single note is played live on the stage by an actual human in, manipulating an instrument, you know, God bless. If that's going to be a selling point for them, I have no problem with that. Um, you know, and and I invite them to have no problem with people who do it another way. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, we're just we're all just out there. We're trying to make money, so you know, we should be supporting one another and not dumping on one another. Yeah, but not if you cheat. Not if you're one of those track cheaters. Right. Right. I um I did get in trouble uh on Cover Band Central for posting a check. 
in a, in a post. Yeah. And I was like, uh, the yeah. life of a cheating, cheating cover yeah. band. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I mean, it was a deposit check. It wasn't even like a full one, but it was in the thousands and, and man, that people did not, <laughs> people were not yeah. fond of that. Um, yeah, and I, no. and I, I get that. Um, I was just in a, a sassy mood. You're showing off. To, you know, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I wasn't, yeah. it wasn't showing off as much as it was. I was, I was just trying to stir stuff up. I was trying to get a rise out of people and it worked. Yeah. But it, it also well got a rise out of the mods, so I I, yeah. I took a little time yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. I'll take my. Yeah, speaking of there. tracks, speaking of tracks, there's a there's a video and how they can go wrong. Um, mm-hmm. There is a video if you Google Greensboro Van Halen jump. Oh, we all know about YouTube. Greensboro Van Halen. We all know about it. It's right down right down the street from me. It's you know I've I've talked before here about how Greensboro here in North Carolina we're central in the state, so a lot of big acts come through here because it draws from all the major metros around us. And um, if you don't know about this, this video um, it's unclear and much argued about whether the track was being played at the wrong sample rate and therefore the wrong key, the wrong pitch, Mm -hmm. or if Eddie's guitar was out of tune, but um, that thing starts up and yeah, as, as a music nerd and, and a person who does a lot of track building, um, it was definitely played back at the wrong sample rate. Um, yeah. which adjust adjusted the whole th- you know it basically put it in a an in between pitch that there was no key to play it in um right. so and and yeah i mean there was no way for them to catch up with that because it was it was the no. wrong speed it was the wrong pitch it was just it was all wrong and that yeah, no, is why to, you rehearse <laughs> well i i i mean van halen's no no slouch in i mean i think technical issues can just come up at any time right what i what i love about that video is that they did not um they forged through that thing you can hear Eddie each like trying to bend back up into that key as hard as he can and um you know they're 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 uh they're a hard they were a hard-working band for a reason they did not um it, it would have been possible to like ah stop crap everybody sorry we you know just yeah. stupid tech and shake their fist at the back of the room and that would have been the unprofessional move um what they did was they made the best of it and they kept yeah, they going and the show it. must go on they yeah slugged through it and it's um uh, i have seen some bands um not cover bands tends to be tends to be original bands where the um, tolerance for on stage glitching is low. I watched a dude stop a song in the middle because his guitar went a lot of, a little out of tune, mm-hmm. and God, it was just it, it just hurt me to watch somebody do that. Don't, yeah. Just just don't don't ever do that. Just don't ever. I don't care if you can get away with it because there's not a track you're playing with. Do not stop a song in the middle. Fix it. Make your way through. Make a joke out of it. Have some fun with it. Have it be part of the show. Um, boy, oh boy. So I'm, I'm proud of what Van Halen did there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the only time I, I feel like it's okay to stop a, something in the middle of a song is if something is wrong, um, like physically wrong. So um, I've seen bands stop because, you know, people are fighting in fighting in the crowd or somebody is being mistreated. Like that's, that's, I feel like that's justifiable. Oh, if, it's a, if it's a safety issue, that's different. Yeah. If it's a performance issue, no, be stand tall and, and fight your way through it. Yeah. Yeah. We've all had those moments, you know, train wrecks still happen. Yep. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, once you played with a, with a group for a while, we, we, we're just, we've gotten there in the last few months in the clanky Lincolns that like, when something goes a little bit awry in a song, you know, somebody misses the entrance to the next verse or something. Um, we don't even meet eyes about it anymore. We're, we're, yeah. we're so in sync. And so, you know, the band telepathy is working so well. Um, we can all correct that thing 
as a unit, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, the one of the things that I'm excited about is I bought that X Live card for the uh, for the X32, which yeah. basically multi multi tracks our our shows. Um, we've got one coming up in a couple of weeks where we'll get to try it out. Um, but I'm really I'm really anxious to or not really anxious, but excited to to you know to have that kind of resource because then it's you know having the board recordings, you know, you'll be able to pick out exactly what's, you know, what happened, um, as far as post postmortem goes. So I'm, I'm interested in, in that, that prospect. So, cool. So yeah, man, at the end of the day, um, bands do what you want to do. Um, I, I can go into just real briefly about how we set tracks up, um, and how we play them back. Um, and if you have more questions, just email us at coverbandconfidential at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to show you uh, either with videos or, a, or a, a blog post on what it looks like. So basically what, what, what I'm doing right now with, um, with the Fanny Pack Friday stuff is I, I bought a bunch of tracks. And, and here's, a, here's a pro tip. Uh, if you're on karaoke tracks, karaokeversion.com, uh, don't buy all of your tracks all at once. Buy them in about 10 to 11 song chunks because for every few uh, purchases you make, you get a free song. So if you break it up, you may, you know, cut, you know, 10 to 12 bucks off of your purchase. If you just break them up a little bit. Um, and what I do is I typically pre mix all of them because one of the cool things that they do is they, they give you all the tracks you can solo, you can mute them, you can pan them. So I go ahead and pan the, uh, the clicks hard left and turn off the things I don't want to hear and turn down the things I don't want to hear quite as much, and then I download them. Um, once they're mm-hmm. downloaded, I use Logic to do any editing because sometimes you know they have the album version and I want to do the radio version, or um, like we're doing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and it's the whole freaking song. Nobody wants to hear three minutes of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, no. So you know, I had to cut that one up a, a little bit to, to fit what people are accustomed to. Um, and then I add cues. So I add our counts. I add our song titles. Um, I have created a script in Automator on, uh, on OS ten that converts uh, whatever I write to speech and then makes that a WAV file that sits on my, uh, on my desktop. So if I want to do Ice Ice Baby, I write the word Ice Ice Baby somewhere on the screen. I copy it. I run that script, and then I get a little... Um, actually, no, it won't let me play it because I've got it... Um, I've got the interface set up, but yeah, so I've got a bunch mm-hmm. of those. Um, and I also do them to, cr- you know, to create specific cues. I also have this lovely young lady who, um, who speaks our cues as well that I got out of an Ableton, uh, session that I've used. So, um, mm. and then I bounce those to MP3 and load them into main stage. Uh, I have created a custom layout for main stage. Um, if you would like that, I can send it to you, uh, again, just shoot me an email. Um, and that's that's where we load all of the MP3s in and um, play them back, and it's just a split mix. So the left channel it's a stereo out that goes to two separate channels on the board. One of them is click, which is pre fader that goes to all of the um, all the players, but not to front of house, and then the track itself, which is a a mono um, just mix of the instrumentation or percussion that I have chosen, and that's it. It can be done on an iPad. It can be done on on a phone. You know, we just we use a laptop right now, but that might change uh, soon. So, yeah. and that's it. Simple enough. 
There you go. Yeah, really, it, it isn't as hard as people make it out to be. Um, it can it can be as difficult as you want it to be. You know, you can run a full Logic or Pro Tools session with multiple outputs and a you know a big interface that goes into individual inputs. You can go that route, and that's what most of the pros do. Uh, but for those of us who are not playing stadiums, um, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's my two cents right, on well, tracks. Seems like we pretty much covered it, and then some uh, tangential goodies too so yep stuff good talk thank you you guys for uh tuning in um like i said any questions or requests um shoot us an email at coverbandconfidential at gmail.com um we might i might ought to say here you know we've been watching the download numbers and um there's 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 some of you (laughs) there's not none of you we have an audience now when we started but we do now and um, 10 episodes in not bad yep happy yes happy 10th anniversary there you go. You know, months ago, Dan and I were like, "Hi, I've never met you. Let's do a <laughs> podcast," and, uh, yeah. and we did, and that's where we are right now. So, yep. um, I uh, I value your insight and your friendship, and I'm glad that Indeed. you're here. Indeed, yep, very much, very much enjoying uh, uh, connecting with you and uh, sharing our wisdom and learning and all that stuff. Yep, it's all good stuff. So, uh, we will cut the love fest for now. Uh, you will have to <laughs> tune in next week to hear the rest of it. From here in Atlanta, Georgia, right. this is Adam Johnson. Dan Ray here from Greensboro, North Carolina. You have been listening to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, Episode 10. Have a good week.